We interrupt our program to bring you this important message. Hello and welcome to The Interruption, the Global Institute for Tomorrow podcast. Today we're recording from my headquarters in Hong Kong, where I'm sitting with GIFT founder Chandran Nair. Today's topic is, of course, on the coronavirus outbreak, but we're going to look at what's gone well. How have countries responded, and what approaches have actually been effective? In developing a global response to pandemics for the future, we must learn from the current coronavirus outbreak now. So Chandran, I'll hand over to you. What responses have you seen from across the world, and which ones have proven effective? Thank you. Well, we have seen a mixture of responses. I think the the news, uh, which all of us uh, are following because we've got so much time in our hands, is very clear. We're seeing uh, mixed responses, and none of us uh, take pleasure in seeing responses which essentially are inadequate. Uh, but clearly, we seek reassurances from where responses have been good and. Uh, I wrote a piece uh, two weeks ago uh, saying what are the common features of places where things have essentially been managed. Uh, no place is perfect, but most of the places where things have been managed well so far have been essentially in Asia, partly because that's where it started. But at the same time, it, uh, it we're very fortunate that in those places in Asia where it started, the governments reacted very quickly. Yes, there has been criticism of China, etc. But most of us should not um, forget that uh, the first place where it starts is often the most difficult because those uh, lead, those leaders never know what uh, this is going to look like. People forget the mad cow disease in the UK, which is, I think, about 20 years ago or more. And there was complete mayhem in the UK. But fortunately, it was not a disease that then crossed uh, international borders. Uh, so what we've seen is uh, China took draconian steps, and I think the most of the world should be very thankful they did. And then we've seen Hong Kong, uh, in the midst of political unrest, get organized. Um, and I'm happy to talk about what get organized looks like, which goes beyond government clamps down, but actually people getting organized. Uh, and then we saw the exemplary uh, methods uh, and uh, responses from places like Korea, Singapore, and Taiwan. What is really sad to know, see, is that the old country, Europe, um, was not equipped for this, except perhaps now uh, we're seeing in Germany, where again, I would be uh, happy to reflect on what I talk about in my book, which is the, the state there being very strong. That not meaning an authoritarian state, but a state where the social contract between people understand discipline, etc. And the difference between the UK, where it has become very clear, and even the prime ministers, various politicians, and now even football stars, begging people to behave and stay at home, which is not the case in, in Germany, because people understand the social contract and the rules. And of course, the most telling thing in the last two weeks uh, has been the absolute chaos in the U.S., both in terms of what people thought would be in the, the ability of, the, of a country that uh, is able to go to war so readily, but yes, it's not, yet is not able to function at a local level, partly as a, a result of the politics, uh, where there's cons uh, consistent politicking by both the, uh, the federal and the state level, and then also the nature of the free market and the way uh, industry operates, which has uh, 
you know, shown starkly across the world that the most advanced economy in the world can't get its act together in, in, in relation to producing enough ventilators for a population that is crying out for uh, intervention. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And what then do you mean, referring back to your earlier point about Germany, do you mean by a, a strong state in the context of coronavirus? And that's a point I think you can expand upon a bit. Well, the way to look at that would be to look at, uh, you know, when people talk about a strong state, uh, and in my book, The Sustainable State, when I refer to the strong state, they, they immediately jump to the conclusion that I'm talking about authoritarianism. Uh, authoritarianism uh, may be needed. In this, at this juncture, in most countries, what we are seeing is authoritarianism. Uh, basically, government imposing order. That is called authority imposing itself. So authoritarianism should not be seen as a bad word. The abuse of authority is, of course, uh, not a good thing, and is relative based on the demands uh, of any one time. But let's not kid ourselves. At this point, in one of the, the greatest crises that humanity has faced in the last 100 years or so, uh, you are going to need order. And collective welfare before individual rights, and therefore you need authoritarian uh, systems in place. Um, so in Germany, it's interesting to see, and the point I make, but is often missed, is that authoritarianism doesn't need to come from authority imposing itself, uh, and that need not be the only means by which it, is, it manifests itself. It also comes from the fact that the institutions, which are more uh, widespread, um, have a social contract. The authority, the, the bodies are respected by the, the population. People understand and therefore behave accordingly. So in Germany, what I meant by this is that the, the German public understands what the role of the state is in a situation like this. It respects its authority. It respects its competence as well. And it respects that there is a contract here that needs to be observed if the collective welfare of the nation is to be protected. That was very different uh, in the initial days, unfortunately, of Italy or in the UK. And it's certainly even to this day in the UK, in the US, uh, not the same. I mean, there are images today going on, uh, being shared on the internet of beaches in Florida being open. And people are arguing that they have a right to go anywhere. So that's a failure of authority, in my view. It puts collective welfare at risk. So that's the, the difference. In China, there is a state that is omnipotent and very forceful and strong. Uh, some argue it's repressive. Um, but at the same time, took a very clear decision, unprecedented decision in modern times, to close down a province with over 50 million people. Uh, who would take that decision and take it at a very early stage? Countries today are taking that decision because they, because they learn from China. But that state, whilst being very strong and being able to enforce, also had a society which understood, I, and I would argue from a civilizational point of view, that order was important in the midst of great danger and chaos. And therefore, in that society, there were very few transgressions. And maybe I'll finish by saying that I saw something a couple of weeks ago that said in the first six days or so 
of the French lockdown, there was something like over 10,000 transgressions of the order to stay at home. And in China, there's hardly any. Now, some would argue, those who want to criticize China, that the Chinese system is essentially unforgiving when you did something like that. Um, but, you know, 11,000 and zero, look uh, between those extremes, and I think you will see that there's a very different understanding of what order looks like, who's responsible for order, what is the role of the state, and what is the social contract. And the underpinning of that, which is very uncomfortable for those who like to think that authority comes with authoritarianism, but the underpinning of that is a society that understands. And those societies that understand are now proving to be the ones that are essentially fairer, uh, and are going to essentially ride the storm. Mm. It's interesting what you say. It sounds like those who understand or have a certain view of social norms that are adhering to the institutional uh, objectives that are being put toward the population are actually responding better. Mm. So in China's case, it sounds like what you're saying is that the population has more trust in their institutions. Yes. So... How would we go about building more trust in institutions and also having more effective institutions as a whole? Well, you you don't go around building it only. You have to earn the trust, and that's the cliche too. Of course, you have to earn the trust. The irony at the moment is uh, the United States looks like a place in which actually people don't trust their governments. And not only don't people don't trust their governments, they feel they are individual and they have a right to exercise whatever privileges they, they, they want. Um, but not only that, the political system has to be one in which there is unity of purpose, in which therefore there is unity and then people trust that the institutions are unified. So it's interesting to see the New York uh, governor over the weekend in fact suggests that the president uh, and whether it's Donald Trump, or whether you like him, or whether it's someone else. But the President of the United States has no right to essentially issue a quarantine notice on the state. Right? So when you have this kind of bickering, then essentially a state is weakened. Because you have so many, so many as you, you, know, you put in, in terms of failed states, so many warlords. So, and then you even have uh, the New York governor threatening to sue a neighboring state if they would um, essentially prevent uh, uh, car owners from New York to drive into the state. So you can't have unity. So to your question, how do you build it? Well, first you build it because you have a structure that has earned the trust of the people over time. Tested not through essentially crisis, but trust tested through the day-to-day -day work that is carried out to build a better society. So, you know, those of us who go to Japan or Germany, when Japan, I will use Japan as an example, is often criticized for its weak government and this and that. But it's a very, very different uh, system. Japan works. And Japan works not because of, you know, uh, mayors and prime ministers yelling and shouting uh, or using different methods to enforce their order. Japan works because of the quiet work every day of the institutions of the government, 
the institutions of the communities and the institutions within the, the sort of underbelly of the society, which is very, very subtle and needs people to, to look at. And for me, that emblem of that how Japan works is if anyone's been in Japan, is to know how the waste disposal system at the smallest community level works. And where the 78-year-old lady is waiting at a certain time on a certain day, and you better bring your waste there and have it in the right, uh, right um, uh, bags and properly cleaned before you put it in a container. And that's how you build that. That's day in and day out. You could almost say it's civilizational. It takes time. But it requires... Uh, some respect for obedience too, which again is not a word that is uh, fashionable in liberal uh, societies, right? So obedience, authority, um, those things are, uh, are critical elements of building that sort of society. Mm. It sounds like when you say institution, it spans scales. We're not just talking about governments, we're not just talking about universities, but we're talking about local communities as well. Yes. and the depth and importance of these institutions is clearly important for how coronavirus has been addressed in Asia and perhaps how it hasn't been addressed in Europe and in the US. Mm. So going forward, do you think that coronavirus is maybe the start of a shift in these countries towards stronger institutions? Do you think it revealed certain weaknesses that will be addressed? Well, I think um, it probably in uh, the countries in Asia uh, reinforced a belief in that need for authority and obedience, and that trickles down into and beyond the, the, the ministry for uh, transport, or the ministry for healthcare, right into the communities, etc. But there's no substitution for the frameworks. You have to have the frameworks. And those frameworks are not done by companies uh, or small communities. Communities can have their own frameworks, but they essentially operate within the arch of what the, the nation state believes should be the norms and the expectations. Now, will this be a game changer in the Western democracies? I am not so sure. I, we will see. But Will it? Uh, will there be lessons learned in Europe from how Germany works? One hopes so. But Germany has worked well for a long time, uh, yet it has always been begrudgingly respected in Europe. So we will, we will see. Will it change the way the UK works? We don't know. We will see. But there is very uh, there is there is evidence that people are begrudging of this inter of this role of the state, yet. Uh, People do expect the state to do things for them, but you should not infringe in my right to enjoy myself. That's the other really interesting thing about this. Uh, people, it's it's about the uh, a view in certain societies, and I'm going to be general here and say that uh, particularly in richer um, democratic liberal societies, this almost obsession with my right to and privilege to have a good time. Whereas in other societies, I think there's a different notion. If I have to stay home at two weeks, I find different ways of having a good time. And my God, if I don't have a good time, it's not the end of the world for two weeks. 
uh, with other societies, and I think you would know that in the UK, I think for the first week or so, there was a big discussion about, my God, we can't go to the pub. Uh, this is not a conversation in Korea. And this is certainly not a conversation in Singapore. Who cares? So those are really interesting things, I think, about the underbelly of the society and people's feelings about their rights. It's very interesting that these rights are quite often skewed towards, I must, I have a right to a good time. Um, rather than, will my good time, me having a good time, uh, infringe on others, uh, noise, etc., or even risk uh, uh, worsening an epidemic. So uh, we will see. But at the same time, there are lots of proclamations that the world will change. A lot of it seems to be, in my view, economics, uh, working from home, role of technology. But they haven't really talked about uh, the more narcissistic elements of societies that have become so modern in their outlook, yet have forgotten what the real world looks like, right? And there is a sort of, sort of certain uh, irony in the fact that uh, social distancing, which is... Uh, 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 the, 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 the word of our time is seen as something that is difficult to do in countries, uh, you know, not the most crowded places of the world. So, you know, you, Europe is not the most crowded place in the world. Uh, Hong Kong is one of the most crowded places in the world. Yet this, this society, despite all the political, uh, problems we've had, has managed to find a way to behave and practice an element of social distancing despite the density issues. But the reality is, in urban areas, in the poor parts of the world, social distancing is not possible. So try going and living in Dakar, Nigeria, in, in, uh, in um, Lagos, or in Delhi or Mumbai, in the poor areas, and see what social distancing looks like. So uh, I, would, I would argue that uh, there will be great differences but hopefully there will be an understanding by governments that they have to build these institutions and they have to earn the trust. But in the Western world, they'll have to understand that freedoms are not unfettered and uh, they come at a price. And, uh, but you don't have a right to just uh, exercise your, your freedoms every day at the end, especially at the expense of others. This I'm not sure will change. Mm -hmm. Well, Sharon, there's a lot to talk about, but thank you very much for your time. I'm afraid that's all we have time for. We hope that you enjoyed listening to this episode of the Interruption Podcast. And if you're interested in GIFT, you can find us at www.global-inst.com. And last but not least, good health to everyone tuning in. Thank you. Thank you. We return you now to your regularly scheduled program.